The Tang Dynasty was one of the greatest in imperial Chinese history. History generally regards the Tang, its first few emperors and thriving cosmopolitan culture, as a high point of Chinese civilization. It's also the golden age of Dunhuang. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast. Starting from this episode, we will visit some of the most distinctive caves built in China's Tang Dynasty. Tang was founded by Li Yuan in the year 618. Li was cousin of the first Sui Emperor and seized power during the decline and collapse of the short-lived Sui Dynasty. The Tang lasted for 289 years up until 907. Marked by strong and benevolent rule, successful diplomatic relationships, economic expansion and a cultural efflorescence of cosmopolitan style, Tang China emerged as one of the greatest empires in the medieval world. Merchants, clerics and envoys from India, Persia, Arabia, Syria, Korea and Japan thronged the streets of the capital city Chang'an. Chang'an was located near the present-day city of Xi'an in northwest China and became the most populous international city in the world at that time. By the way, the Tang Dynasty had the first ever, and only ever, female Chinese emperor Wu Zetian. She also had some connection with the Dunhuang Mugao Caves. We will meet this mighty woman later. It is no wonder that Tang's economic, social and cultural prosperities had a strong influence on the Dunhuang Mugao caves built during that time. Historians usually divide up the Tang dynasty into three stages. The early Tang, the high Tang and the late Tang. The Dunhuang caves also reflected the changing Tang style. A good place to observe such change in Dunhuang is Cave 220, built in the early Tang period. This cave is unique in that, for about 300 years, it served as the private cave temple for nine generations of the local dignitaries, the Jai family. The Jai family was a prominent family in Dunhuang. Many family members held important positions in government agencies or the military. They built the cave in 642 and restored it many times until 925. The family's connection with the cave went through the entire Tang dynasty. Today you can still find an inscription inside the cave which reads, This cave was dedicated to the Jai family. Cave 220 has great historical and artistic value. It has a truncated pyramidal ceiling and a niche in the west wall with a five-figure group. The true-to-life painting style and proficient sculpturing technique make them the standard examples for studying the sculptures of the Tang dynasty. Some early Tang murals of Cave 220 were well-preserved and after nearly 1,500 years, they still have brilliant colors. How come they were preserved so well after so many years? 
In fact, later generations of the Jai family covered the original murals with new layers. In the 20th century, researchers accidentally discovered this secret and then skillfully removed the surface murals, revealing the original ones from the early Tang dynasty. Cave 220 opened an important window for people to understand the art style of the Tang dynasty, not only in Dunhuang, but also what was trending in the Tang's capital city, Chang'an. As many of the painting patterns and techniques had never appeared in Dunhuang before and are believed to have been imported from the capital. Mr. Chang Shu Hung, the first director of the Dunhuang Academy, once said, the composition and color of the frescoes in Cave 220 are as great as those well-known church decoration paintings of the Italian Renaissance. So, what are some of the highlights? People with religious beliefs often dream of paradise. Have you ever wondered what the heavenly world looks like? Well, inside Cave 220, you can find illustrations of both Western and Eastern heavens. On the south and north walls, for the first time in Dunhuang, there is a splendid single illustration of a sutra, filling the entire space. This kind of painting is called sutra painting, or jingbian in Chinese, which means change the sutra into images. This one big painting, consisting of a single large theme, is totally different from the episode-like depictions of Jataka tales that we've seen in the previous caves. The mural on the south wall depicts the amazing scenes of the Western Pure Land, presided over by the Buddha Amitabha. It is the earliest and grandest sutra tableau illustrating this theme at the Magao Caves. On the north wall, you can find an illustration of the Eastern Pure Land, based on the Sutra of the Medicine Buddha. The painting technique, the architecture and other clues within the murals demonstrated that the Tang Dynasty assimilated various cultures and welcomed artists, styles and techniques from many foreign countries. In the mural of the Western Pure Land, Amitabha, also known as the Buddha of Infinite Light, or Buddha of Eternal Life, is sitting in the middle and flanked by two seated bodhisattvas. The triad is known as the Three Holy Ones of the West. Surrounding them is a retinue of over 150 members showing different postures and expressions. In the lotus pond below them, there are many lifelike children. One child is doing a handstand, while others are having fun in the water. If you look closely, you will find a very interesting fact. There is a kid standing in the water wearing a red v-necked t-shirt and green shorts. They're quite fashionable even from today's point of view. According to Buddhist text, these children are the souls that have been reborn from lotus. In the Western Pure Land, sentient beings are reborn from a lotus. This kind of birth is called transformation birth. In the mural, the transformation lads are depicted as children playing in the water. Those who are not yet sufficiently mature to be reborn are still inside closed lotus buds. 
During the prosperous Tang dynasty, grottos of the Western Pure Land became a popular theme in Buddhist sites. It was depicted as a place with singing birds, flower blossom, and four seasons that are just like spring. The Buddha preaches here, and all beings who hear the truth enjoy infinite happiness. The mural of Cave 220 is one of the best depictions of the West Pure Land to be found in Dunhuang. On the north wall, where the paradise of the east is depicted, there are seven standing Buddhas in the center. They hold prayer beads or bowls for medicine and stand barefoot on lotus bases. According to Buddhism, Medicine Buddha is the lord of the paradise of the east with the power of healing people. In the mural, he is the second one from the left of the seven Buddhas, holding a bowl in his left hand and displaying the gesture of discussion with his right hand. To the right of the seven Buddhas, dressed in armor, are twelve generals as Medicine Buddha's assistants. On their crowns are the twelve zodiac animals of the Chinese calendar. Depicted in front of the seven Buddhas are wheel-like chandeliers, which originated in the countries to the west of China, and a pagoda-shaped lantern, which originated from central China. Light offering is a traditional Buddhist practice. By doing so, you are able to dispel the darkness of ignorance and achieve wisdom. The depiction of huge, wheel-like, tiered lamps is in fact a true reflection of the social life of the time. Grand dancing and music scenes can be found on the lower parts of both West and East Paradises. There are musicians sitting on a rug in groups, playing various musical instruments. From their appearance, we can tell they are not Chinese. On the central stage are dancers performing the legendary Hu Xuan dance. Their postures and flying sashes show that they are moving very quickly and vigorously. This dance style is also called the Sogdian Whirl, or Dance of the Whirling Barbarian. It was introduced to China from the western regions and was extremely popular in the Tang Empire. We already talked about this unique dance in a previous episode. In China, belief in the Medicine Buddha's paradise started in the 6th century, when the sutra was first brought to China from India and translated into Chinese. The depiction was simple at that time, but became more elaborate and magnificent in the Tang dynasty. In this illustration, the depiction of the multi-tiered candelabras, the colorful clouds, the luxurious jeweled decorations, the beautiful canopies and other details are simply spectacular. The Indian abstract imagining of paradise is displayed in a realistic form, allowing people to really see them and fulfill their need. This realistic style was developed to its apex in the Tang dynasty. There was quite a difference between what the Indians and the Chinese demanded in their art forms. Now let's turn to the east. The east wall of Cave 220 is divided into two short sections with some striking murals. 
One mural is about a popular debating scene from Buddhist text. In the mural, the main character sits in his curtained chamber and is using a fan to emphasize his points. The fan, made of a big deer's tail, was one of the must-have accessories of Chinese intellectuals during the fifth and sixth centuries. It was used for emphasizing their philosophical points of view during discussions. Beneath the chamber, you can find a group of kings, princes, and ministers from various countries coming to listen to the debate. They're differentiated by skin color, costumes, and appearances, and some have never been seen before the Tang Dynasty. The colorful shading technique was skillfully applied on the figures, making it a masterpiece among all Dunhuang murals. On the other side of the entrance, the depiction of the Chinese emperor is also outstanding. He is dressed in full ceremonial attire, richly embroidered with twelve symbols, including the sun, the moon, and the dragon. The pose and spirit conveyed of the imperial figure, in particular, can be compared with its counterparts in the master painting of the portraits of the past emperors. By the famous Tang Dynasty court painter Yan Li Ben, Yan's work now forms one of the most valuable collections of the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. The mural painting in 220 is even superior to that in its description of the figures and color application, and it is from some 30 years earlier. Many modern scholars and artists believe that the frescoes in Cave 220 are by no means the work of ordinary craftsmen, but more like the works of a master. So, who could be the talented but unknown painter in Dunhuang? Let's have a wild guess. Possibly, he used to be a painter working for the temples in the capital city of Tang. At that time, art was thriving in Tang, and the capital was full of talented artists. Although the artist had superb painting skills, it's almost impossible for him to become a court painter for the royal family. <sighs> the wealth and openness of the Tang Dynasty also ushered in the second heyday of the ancient Silk Road. The Tang Emperor decided to send more troops to Dunhuang to safeguard this important business route and maintain regional stability. While mobilizing and recruiting soldiers from central China to Dunhuang, a group of craftsmen were also recruited to the metropolitan city in the desert. This undervalued painter in the capital joined the group of craftsmen going to Dunhuang, hoping to find a better chance there. When the painter and his companions arrived in Dunhuang, they were attracted by those amazing Buddhist caves, and they joined local mural painters and brought an avant-garde painting style to Dunhuang. He soon became the most popular painter and was invited by the Jai family to draw the murals for Cave 220. Of course, this is all just assumption. But since the wall paintings in Cave 220 have achieved such high artistic levels and are identical with the masterpieces drawn by the royal painters in the capital, many researchers believe they were composed by someone from the capital, a skilled but unknown painter who finally found his stage in Dunhuang Cave 220, and whose talent and creativity still shine after more than a thousand years.
the magnificent scenes, colors, and lifelike characters of the murals leave a deep impression on viewers, reflecting the openness and prosperity of the early Tang dynasty. Cave 220 raised the curtain on the flourishing Tang style. Starting from the Tang dynasty, craftsmen of the Dunhuang caves and murals not only recorded content from Buddhist texts, but also depicted historical stories as well as day-to-day -day life scenes, passing on to us many interesting stories and a lot of information to aid historians in their studies of the past. One famous story described on the wall paintings was of a loyal Chinese ambassador in the Western Han Dynasty who journeyed west towards Central Asia. He was captured and detained for 13 long years before eventually returning home. This is another story of Dunhuang, the largest Buddhist art gallery in the world. Let's save it for our next episode. Special thanks go out to the Dunhuang Academy and San Lian Zhongdu for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, do give us a five-star rating or a review. I'm Graham Stevens. See you next time on the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast. Stay tuned. <laughs>